Hey everyone, this is the first Laser Pulse episode. What this is, is since the regular episodes are be, will be released every two weeks, so fortnightly, we wanted to put some extra content in between those hour-long episodes. So these will be shorter episodes, with much less editing, and with a smaller cast. I'm Cameron Copus, and today it'll be just me. The next episode will have a full cast, and that will be released on Monday, September 30th, early in the morning. So watch for that. I'm just going to talk about recent news, a couple topics that we won't be covering in the hour-long sections. The first story is this article written about a new Guinness World Record for the world's thinnest sheet of glass. Now, this is a paper that was published in Nano Letters, titled Direct Imaging of a Two-Dimensional Silica Glass on Graphene. So this was published back in January of 2012, but the Guinness World Record didn't get around to being issued until recently. Uh, this is from Pinshane Huang at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And uh, interesting that this comes from Cornell, because Cornell is pretty famous for producing uh, really good ceramics engineers and ceramics material scientists because they work closely with uh, Corning that's up there in Ithaca. So what the story is about is they accidentally found this uh, two-dimensional sheet of glass. So it's only one molecule thick. The normal glass you find is, is SiO2 with a bunch of other stuff in it and it's really thick and what makes it a glass is the fact that there's no order in the crystals. So the atoms are just thrown in there all crazy without any long-range pattern like you would find in a normal material that would be crystalline or polycrystalline so basically everything else and what makes this really interesting is that they found it accidentally while trying to make graphene so graphene is this single layer thick sheet of carbon atoms so it's like a carbon nanotube that's been cut and rolled out and when they were trying to make one of these they got some contamination in the chamber and instead made a sheet of glass that's the same thickness. This is real significant because this is the first time anyone's actually been able to image the atoms in a sheet of glass directly. The problem with this is that because the glass is inherently disordered and the way we see atoms with the best resolution is using a technique called transmission electron microscopy, and transmission electron microscopy is usually called TEM. The way that works is we take a beam of electrons and shine it through a very thin region of the sample. Then you align it very carefully and you can look through it and see a shadow of the atoms. So it, it's a very powerful technique, allows you to see the individual atoms in any sample that's, that's thin enough. And it lets you learn a lot about the crystal structure and the properties of the materials that way. If you try to look through any thickness of glass, all of the atoms underneath will just block the atoms on top and you won't be able to see through it. So you can't tell exactly where the atoms are. This single layer thick sheet of glass makes it re is really interesting because we can actually look and see that the atoms are arranged in a way that we expected with all of the theories that we've been using for many years. So this is significant for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, nobody's ever seen the arrangement of atoms in these very thin glasses before, or in any glasses at all. And secondly, because we don't know the properties of glasses at these very thin arrangements. Making this will allow us to make a lot more interesting measurements of glass, since a lot of techniques require the crystallinity of the material. And it might have some really interesting applications in electronics, where you use a amorphous or glass barrier layer in between things like transistors and junctions. If you want to read more about this story, there's an article in Science Daily that we'll have a link to in the show notes. 
or you can find the paper if you have access to Nano Letters, which we'll also post a link to. Okay, now this second story is sort of related. Uh, it comes from Michigan Tech News website, and the title is 3D Graphene, Solar Power's Next Platinum. And it does have that question mark there, that's not just me. Uh, the, the news article is by Marisa Goodrich, and the paper is by Hui Wang, under Professor Yun Hang Hu. The title of the paper is 3D Honeycomb-like Structured Graphene and its High Efficiency as a Counter-Electrode Catalyst for Dye-Sensitized Solar Cells. And again, that's the, that's the primary application they, they want to use this for. So what they did was they took graphene, which is that single sheet of carbon atoms, and they built it into a hexagonal structure using another material to buffer it to prevent it from, to prevent the layers from bonding together and forming graphite like you would have in a normal pencil. So they made this hexagonal structure, and what they want to do with it is use it as a catalyst in dye-sensitized solar cells. So the, the catalyst will replace the platinum catalyst that's currently used in dye-sensitized solar cells, and the platinum catalyst is a honeycomb structure of platinum that's very similar to something that's used in the catalytic converter in cars. Platinum is a catalyst surface where other materials can land on it and form reactions much more easily. So the way a dye-sensitized solar cell works is that you need a catalyst on one side and then a dye, which is something similar to chlorophyll, and then another electrode that's just a... it's usually titanium dioxide, I believe. And what the way it works is that the light shines through the sunlight in this because it's a solar cell shines through activates the dye and then the electrons are able to go from the dye to the titanium dioxide and back around to the catalyst side now currently we have to use platinum which is really really expensive so that's what's the primary barrier in getting these dye sensitized solar cells made or mass produced but this carbon structure could replace the platinum making it much cheaper. They said that with the solar cells that they made, they were able to convert 7.8% efficiency, solar efficiency, compared to a normal dye-sensitized solar cell that's only about 8%. So it's very close to the platinum efficiency, and it's much, much cheaper. And according to them, it's sim pretty simple to synthesize. So that'd be really great. It's a really great advancement in dye-sensitized solar cells, uh, which could potentially be a very cheap way to produce a lot of solar energy. So that's pretty exciting. Now in this paper they were focusing more mostly on the dye-sensitized solar cell applications, but I think that this also has a lot of potential applications in things like fuel cells and batteries, uh, or anything where a passive catalyst, something like platinum, is used to lower reaction energies. Uh, so it's good for energy storage, energy conversion, and energy collection. Alright, now this third story is about a new AARPA energy program. AARPA stands for Advanced Research Projects Agency. And what this is, is this is research that hasn't actually happened yet, but they've just announced the program and started funding it. So what they're doing is they're funding new research into light metal material production, uh, particularly magnesium production techniques. So they're funding about $8.5 million into magnesium research, and the reason for this is that magnesium is a really important structural material. It's the lightest of the useful metals, is what it's often called. It's lighter than aluminum, and it can be used in alloys to make high-temperature, strong 
alloys, so higher temperature than aluminum and also stronger than aluminum when you alloy the two together. Problem with it right now is that the current production involves heating up Epsom salts or magnesium salts to very, very high temperature to, to have a liquid salt, and then they do an electrolysis to remove the magnesium. So what they would like to do is they are actually funding PNNL, the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, to try to find a way to do electrolysis on normal seawater instead of having to harvest the Epsom salts first and then make the Epsom, the salts liquid. So they want to perform electrolysis on seawater in order to harvest magnesium directly out of that. So hopefully this will work like that, work for that, uh, because this, so hopefully that will work. Uh, this research has a lot of energy and climate advantages because having, being able to use more magnesium means that we can have more lighter metals, so cars and planes and things will use less fuel, but also reducing the cost of the production and reducing the high temperatures used in the production will significantly reduce CO2 production during the manufacture of magnesium for these applications. So again, none of this research has actually happened yet. They're just starting to fund it, but hopefully we'll see something come out of it in the next couple of years. And uh, I'm sure some universities and the PNNL are happy that they now have these interesting grants, interesting research projects. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the very first Laser Pulse episode. Uh, Again, watch for the next full-length episode to be released on Monday, September 30th. If you want to suggest a topic for our show or you have any comments or questions, you can email me personally at cameron at laserpodcast.com or just send a contact email to everyone at contact at laserpodcast.com. And you can also leave comments on the website. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at laserpodcast or find us on Facebook or Google+. Uh, We're not on iTunes or Stitcher yet, but hopefully that'll be up soon. All right. Thank you.